on July 2nd, 1776, that delegates at the Second Continental Congress meeting in Philadelphia officially separated the 13 American colonies from Britain by approving a motion for independence. Hear these words from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Christians who are Americans, we gather this day to thank God for the gifts of our freedom and liberty, to honor those whose vision, wisdom, and sacrifice secured these unalienable rights for us and every generation, to confess that while we believe that all are created equal, we have not allowed others to enjoy that freedom or those rights. We ask God's forgiveness and call upon God's unconditional love and boundless mercy to grant that we may be given strength and courage to live more fully into our faith and beliefs. Let us pray. O oh Lord, Lord, our Governor, bless the leaders of our land, that we may be a people at peace among ourselves and blessing to other nations of the earth. Lord, keep this nation under your care. To the President and members of the Cabinet, to governors of states, mayors of cities, and to all in administrative authority, grant wisdom and grace in the exercise of their duties. Give grace to your service, O Lord. To senators and representatives and those who make our laws in states, cities, and towns, give courage, wisdom, and foresight to provide for the needs of all our people and to fulfill our obligations in the community of nations. Give grace to your service, O Lord. To judges and officers of our courts, give understanding and integrity that human rights may be safeguarded and justice served. Give grace to your servants, O Lord. And finally, teach our people to rely on your strength and to accept their responsibilities to their fellow citizens, that they may elect trustworthy leaders and make wise decisions for the well-being of our society that we may serve you faithfully in our generation and honor your holy name. For yours is the kingdom of the Lord, and you are exalted as head of all. Let us pray together. Lord, Lord God Almighty, in whose name the founders of this country won liberty for themselves and for us, and with the torch of freedom for nations and unborn, grant Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God.
A reading from the Mayflower Compact, 1620. In the name of God, Amen. We, whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread Sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually, in the presence of God and one of another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. In witness whereof, we have hereunto subscribed our names at Cape Cod, the 11th of November, in the reign of our Sovereign Lord, King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, the 54th. Anno Domini, 1620. preamble 
to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I long to hear that you have declared an independency. And, by the way, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. <laughs> if particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. That your sex are naturally tyrannical is a truth so thoroughly established as to admit of no dispute. But such of you as wish to be happy willingly give up the harsh title of master for the more tender and endearing one of friend. Why then not put it out of the power of the vicious and the lawless to use us with cruelty and indignity, with impunity? Men of sense in all ages abhor those customs which treat us only as the servants of your sex. 
regard us then as being placed by providence under your protection. And in imitation of the supreme being, make use of that power only for our happiness. Cheyenne Chief's High Chief, Cheyenne Winter, for July 4th. The period of 1800-1900 was a dark winter for the Cheyenne people. It was a period of history when contact with the white man altered forever the Native American way of life. One of the great Cheyenne Chief's High Chief spoke eloquently of what these times foretold. Once only Indians lived in this land. Then came the strangers from across the great water. No land had they, we gave them our land. No food had they, we gave them of our corn. The strangers are becoming many, and they fill all the country. They dig gold from my mountains. They build houses of the trees of my forests. They rear cities of my stones and rocks. They make fine garments from the hides of animals that eat my grass. None of the things that make their riches did they bring with them from beyond the great water. All comes from my land, the land the great mystery gave unto the Indian. When I think upon this, I know that it is right, even this. In the heart of the great mystery, it was meant that strangers and visitors my friends across the great water, shall come to my land, that I should bid them welcome, that all men should sit down with me and eat together of my corn. It was meant by the great mystery that the Indians should give to all people.
a reading from Martin Luther King. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. <clears throat> this momentous decree is a great beacon, light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who have been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak <clears throat> to end the long night of their captivity. We have also come to this hollowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights <clears throat> of meeting physical force with soul force. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. I say to you today, my friends, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire and from the curvaceous slopes of California. Then we will be able to speed up that day <clears throat> when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last.
a reading from a speech by Dolores Huerta of the United Farm Workers. In Delano, California, I remember three specific instances. One, a worker who had his hand broken on the job was sent to his local doctor, who, by the way, is also a grape grower. The doctor prescribed some ointment to put on his hand. The worker's hand started swelling. He came later to use our x-ray machine, which at that time was just a small trailer. We had this old x-ray machine from the year one, and we found out that his hand was broken. There was another farm worker who was ill, Chala Savalo, who another local grape grower doctor said, why, you're pregnant. About six months later, she found out she was not pregnant. She had tuberculosis. But by that time, she had to have a lung removed. Farm workers who are poisoned with pesticides are told they have sunstroke. And it's always the same thing. You have no money. The doctor can't see you. Now, some of you might wonder how come I have 10 children, right? One of the main reasons is because I want to have my own picket line. But all kidding aside, it's really nice to be able to go to a clinic when you're pregnant with your 10th baby and not have people look at you like you were kind of crazy or like you don't know where they come from or put pressure on you not to have any more children. Because after all, you know, Mexicans are kind of poor people and you shouldn't have all that many kids. So that's another good thing about our clinics, <clears throat> because unfortunately, that pressure not to have children translates itself in county hospitals and places where people have no power into dead babies because these babies aren't taken care of and into very hard labor for mothers because they are trying to make it so hard on the mother so as they can't have another one. And I guess I feel a little bit strongly about that because I've been in situations where I've seen children die, babies die, because somebody there thought they shouldn't have been born in the first place. And I don't think that public health people should be repressed. It worries me when I see a clinic in a farm worker community that is afraid to put out a farm worker flag or put up Cesar's picture because they are afraid that they are going to get their money taken away from them. We've got to take the side of the people that are being oppressed. And if we can't do that, then we're not doing our job because the people in this or that community are not going to have any faith in the medical program there if you can't take their side. We've got to be able to stand up and fight for our rights. We can't any longer cooperate with any kind of fear, any kind of bigotry, any kind of racism, anything that is wrong. We've got to be able to stand up and say, that is wrong.
a reading from Robert Kennedy's address to the Cleveland City Club. <coughs> Fifty years ago, Robert Kennedy spoke these words. This is a time of shame and sorrow. It is not a day for politics. I have saved this one opportunity to speak briefly to you about this mindless massacre of violence in America, which stains our land and every one of us. It is not the concern, the concern of any one race. The victims of the violence are black and white, rich and poor, young and old, famous and unknown. They are, most important of all, human beings whom other human beings have loved and needed. No one, no matter where he lives or what he does, can be certain who will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed, and yet it goes on and on. Why? What has violence ever accomplished? What has it ever created? No martyr's cause has ever been stilled by his assassin's bullet. No wrongs have ever been righted by riots and civil disorders. A sniper is only a coward, no hero, and an uncontrollable mob is only the voice of madness, not the voice of the people. Whenever any American's life is taken <coughs> by another American unnecessarily, whether it is done in the name of the law or in defiance of the law, by one man or a gang, in cold blood or in passion, in an attack of violence, whenever we tear at the fabric of life which another man has painfully and clumsily woven for himself and his children, the whole nation is disgraced. Among free men, said Abraham Lincoln, there can be no successful appeal from the ballot to the bullet, and those who take such appeal are sure to lose their cause and pay the cost. Yet, we seemingly tolerate a rising level of violence that ignores our common humanity and our claims to, to civilization alike. We calmly accept newspaper reports of civilian slaughter in far-off lands. We glorify on movie and television screens and call it entertainment. We make it easy for men of all shades of sanity to acquire weapons and ammunition they desire. Too often we honor swagger and bluster and the wielders of force. 
Too often we excuse those who are willing to build their own lives on the shattered dreams of others. Some Americans who preach nonviolence abroad fail to practice it here at home. Some who accuse others of inciting riots have by their own conduct in invited them. Some look for scapegoats. Others look for conspiracies. But this much is clear. Violence breeds violence. Repression brings retaliation. And only a cleaning of our whole society can remove this sickness from our soul. <clears throat> For there is another kind of violence, slower but just as deadly, destructive as the shot or the bomb in the night. This is the violence between men because their skin has different colors. This is a slow destruction of a child by hunger and schools without books and homes without heat in the winter. This is the breaking of a man's spirit by denying him the chance to stand as a father and as a man among other men. And this too afflicts us all. When you teach a man to hate and fear his brother, when you teach that he is lesser man because of his color or his beliefs or his policies, he pursues or the policies he pursues, then you teach that those who are different from you threaten your freedom or your job or your family then you also learn to confront others, not as fellow citizens, but as enemies. To be met not with cooperation, but with conquest. To be subjugated and mastered. We learn at this last to look at our brothers as aliens, men with whom we share a city, but not a community men bound to us in common dwelling, but not in common effort. We learn to share only a common fear, only a common desire to retreat from each other, only a common impulse to meet disagreement with force. For all, for all this, there are no final answers. Yet we know what we must do. It is to achieve true justice among our fellow citizens. The question is not what programs we should seek to enact. The question is whether we can find it in our own midst, and our own hearts, that leadership of human purpose that will recognize that this short life can neither be ennobled or enriched by hatred or revenge. Our lives on this planet are too short and the work to be done too great to let this spirit flourish any longer in our land. Of course, we cannot banish it with a program or with a resolution, but we can perhaps remember, even if only for a time, 
that those who live with us are our brothers, that they share with us the same short moment of life, that they seek, as we do, nothing but a chance to live our lives in purpose and happiness, winning what satisfaction and fulfillment they can. Surely this bond of common faith, this bond of common goal, can begin to teach us something. Surely we can learn at last and look at those around us as fellow men. And surely we can begin to work a little harder to bind up the wounds among us and become in our hearts brothers and countrymen once again. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
I think we can all agree that we are living through some tumultuous times in our country lately. So I'm very grateful to Father Ernest for offering us this service for Independence Day, that we might ground ourselves this morning, ponder who we are as a nation, and pray together within the structure of our regular Sunday worship service. I didn't realize until this morning at the 8 a.m. that the readings assigned for July 4th, which we're using today, include this from Deuteronomy, which we omitted at the 10. From Deuteronomy, You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And this from Matthew, which we just heard. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Love the stranger and love your enemies. As usual, God doesn't make it easy. But these twin advisements may be the only way forward for us as a nation divided by so much these days. And these words are meant for all of us, not just them, whoever them is for you. Love the stranger. Love your enemies. I am grateful to this country for welcoming my parents in 1956 when they emigrated from Mexico. With second and third grade educations, they were able to raise a family of five on the salary of a steel factory worker. But it wasn't always easy. There were times when we resorted to receiving government surplus blocks of cheese and powdered milk to get by. I'm also grateful to this country for that. Being American is a real privilege. I knew that growing up whenever we visited my even poorer cousins in Mexico. But by privilege, I mean don't ever take it for granted, as if it's a right that you are owed and need do nothing more. Because being American is also a responsibility, a charge to exhibit compassion and kindness as our best face, while fiercely defending our best guess at goodness in this age of moral relativity, and protecting the most vulnerable among us. In the words of the prophet Micah, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? I want to tell you a story about a woman at uh, St. Luke's Long Beach. She's at the Spanish service. Her name is Alicia. Uh, she has been here in the United States for about 20 years. She came over illegally and uh, was married and raised two boys and a girl. And in her time here, she had a fierceness in her heart that drove her to do a lot of community organizing setting up things like health fairs for the Spanish speakers in the neighborhood, making relationships with the police officers in the area so that they could cut down on crime, 
gosh, doing all kinds of stuff for rights and for peace and for justice and for helping people who didn't have anything. That's what she spent her life doing. And her kids grew up going to all of these little fairs and meetings and you know, playing their games while she was organizing all of these things. Um, so lo and behold, uh, the oldest of them, Miguel, uh, last year or a year and a half ago, came to her and said, Mom, I want to join the armed forces. And the biggest reason he had for that was that someone had told him that if he did that, it would help her in her um, efforts to become a U.S. citizen. Somehow if your kids join the armed forces, there's some sort of deal. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they felt. And so she was scared. You know, she had a lot of ambivalence about that. But he said, no, I, I, it's time for me to grow up, and this might help you. And frankly, he wasn't doing well in school, and he played video games probably a little too much, <laughs> and kind of slouched into church, but was a good kid. So off he goes to Oklahoma for whatever boot camp they do, and six months later he returns, and he looks like a young man, and he's lost 30 pounds, and he's got his hair cropped short, and his back is straight, and it was, it was a transformation. And Alicia, um, I think, was really grateful for that, kind of for what that experience did to him to help him grow up. And I think she's proud of him for that. But she's also proud of him because he cares enough about her and his father to try to help them become members of this country. This country is a great country. This country has problems. This country gives hope to the world. This country needs to examine itself from time to time, from day to day. We are wonderful people and we can do so much better. But I wanted to tell you that story of Alicia and Miguel because I think it's this microcosm of what can happen here when people come with hope and nothing and make something of their lives and better the lives of those around them. So this was sort of a sneak attack homily. I didn't mean to be up here, but the Spirit drove me. Uh, I want to close with a prayer you may have heard before, um, but I think it's appropriate to this time in our country, and I feel blessed to be here with all of you as your rector, which I never would have guessed when I was a six-year-old barefoot kid on the south side of Chicago eating blocks of government cheese. <laughs> may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you will live deep in your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people and of the earth so that you will work for justice, equity, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer, so you will reach out your hands to comfort them and change their pain into joy. And may God bless you with the foolishness to think that you can make a difference in the world, so you will do the things which others say cannot be done.
special welcome to visitors and newcomers. If this is a new visit for you and you feel so inclined, boy, aren't you lucky. You can fill out one of these pretty orange cards on the back with your contact information and receive, uh, get on our mailing list, get a letter from me, and get to know us better. So please do fill that out. You can put it in the offering plate or at the end of the service, give it to an usher. Um, on that, on a related note, our new newsletter has come out, the July edition of the Winged Ox, the Winged Ox. And uh, I just want to say, it's great. It's a good newsletter. You do not want to miss this. I want to thank, sorry, Kathy. I want to thank Kathy Lucas, the editor, who worked so hard at getting all that stuff together. And she is...
Uh, um, because some rules and things come out of that convention that will affect and trickle down to us. So prayers are welcome. That is from the 3rd to the 13th. Father Ricardo. Yes. On that note, yes. this parish has had more deputies to general convention than any other church in the diocese, which includes Mother Diane, Father Ernest, Father David, Mother Mary, myself, and a few others over, over time. So St. Luke's has really been plugged into the national church in a way that most of us in the pews are oblivious to. But St. Luke's has represented and will again. Yes. Um, and we, we don't this time. The pressure's on, I think. <laughs> but thank you. So yes, that's coming up. Um, starting next Sunday for the month of July, we will be introducing Eucharistic Prayer C at the altar. It's going to sound a little different. It's going to sound a little galactic. It's got some prayers for the galaxies and the stars and the sun and the moon. But it is a Eucharistic prayer sanctioned by our church in the Book of Common Prayer. So come back and you never know how it might hit you uh, in a different way that opens up your spiritual insight. Okay? Um, do mark your calendars because Nicholas is going to give a concert September 15th called Chopin and Chardonnay. Two good things. Mm -hmm. Plus Nicholas is delightful. Um, more info to come. <laughs> and then lastly, Wednesday, July 4th, our office will be closed. Thank you all so much. God bless you. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself an offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat>
glad to offer which earth has given and human hands have made it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for by your goodness we have this wine to offer. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands it will become for us our spiritual drink. Blessed be God
Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself, and when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night in which he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whatever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. <coughs> Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ is God. Christ is
Christ. The body of Christ. The bread of heaven. the cup of salvation.
hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you forever. Amen. <laughs> Spirit.